Uh, Vanek analysts have predicted, I think, 2.4 billion combined in inflows into these spot Bitcoin ETFs in the first quarter. Galaxy Research uh, has estimated 14 billion in the first year. Bitwise's Matt Hogan has said um, that their firm is kind of projecting 55 billion into all these funds in the next five years. So those are some different levels. Uh, physical gold ETFs hold about 100 billion in assets under management. Um, so People have said that they expect Bitcoin could reach that. What's up, everyone? Before we jump into the episode, little plug for Digital Asset Summit coming up in London, March 18th to 20th. Tickets are pacing so far ahead of schedule that we had to decrease the discount code. So instead of Empire 20, it is now Empire 10. Head over to the website, Digital Asset Summit, Das London, March 18th to 20th. Use code Empire 10 and get 10% off your ticket. See you in London. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. Here at Empire, you know that Santi and I are really into real-world use cases and always on the lookout for the next killer blockchain app. We're excited to share that PayPal has arrived in crypto to unveil a way to seamlessly connect fiat to digital currencies. Later in the show, you will find out how you can use PYUSD to check out at millions of online stores. All right, everyone. We're back with the roundup. We have uh, Santi and myself, and we are lucky enough to be joined by uh, Casey, who's been on the show a couple of times, uh, senior reporter at BlockWorks, another senior reporter at BlockWorks, Ben Strack, who has been covering ETFs at BlockWorks since before ETFs were cool. So, uh, Case, welcome back. Ben, welcome to the show for the first time. Thank you. Great Thank to you. be here. ETFs yeah. weren't cool at some point? No, they've always been cool. They've yeah. always been cool, but uh, maybe not to the general public, but... Ben, do you feel is this a is this a big moment for you? Do you feel vindicated to have uh, been covering ETFs daily for years now, and now you're like, here we've arrived? Yeah, well, definitely to your point, they have not been talked about like this. Um, it seems like in a long time, so very exciting time for the space. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So maybe Ben, if you could set the stage for us, we're recording this on uh, Thursday, so things are changing so quickly. This will go out Friday morning. We're cha- we're recording this Thursday around noon. Um, can you just kind of set the stage for us, like who? Like, how did we get here and who, who who's arrived to the table? Yeah, so, I mean, the Winklevoss twins first filed for a spot Bitcoin ETF in 2013. That was denied a few years later. Um, so there's been attempts for years to launch these. Um, I think things picked up a little bit when the SEC approved the first Bitcoin futures ETF in, uh, in 2021. And then from there, uh, a few developments last year with BlackRock uh, entering the race for a spot Bitcoin ETF and then Grayscale Investments legal victory against the SEC um, for denying their conversion of GBTC, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, to an ETF. Uh, They won that case and that kind of um, set the stage a little bit for these approvals that we got yesterday. Um, So now, you know, Thursday morning, 11 Bitcoin ETFs um, were set to launch. Uh, including from BlackRock Fidelity, as well as, you know, smaller crypto focused firms like Bitwise and and Grayscale was able to convert their GBTC vehicle to an ETF as well. So nice. um, a lot happening. Why is it? So we've had these futures ETFs. Why is it so important that these are spot? Why was this the moment that everyone was waiting for? Yeah, I think um, for a lot of people, spot uh, ETFs are just easier to understand. They They hold the Bitcoin directly instead of uh, Bitcoin futures contracts. Um, and there are some like roll costs uh, with with Bitcoin futures ETFs. So I think people were just kind of waiting for, 
for this pure um, spot Bitcoin. Nice. Fun, watch. Case, can you maybe tee us up on the grayscale side? Like Ben, Ben mentioned grayscale, or I don't know if this is also a question for you, Ben, but um, why was this grayscale case so important, and why did that like pave the way for for all of this to actually happen? Yeah, I mean. The phrase like regulation by enforcement gets thrown around, thrown around a lot in crypto and, and also in policy when lawmakers are talking about different agencies and digital assets, specifically with the SEC. And um, this kind of shift into fighting things in the courts has really become a big narrative and a big weapon for the crypto industry. Um, obviously, it's very expensive and time consuming, but as we saw today and, and this week, it, it certainly pays off. So Grayscale's big win was a judge ruled that the SEC is not allowed to deny a Bitcoin ETF for transitioning their GBTC for the same reasons that they have in the past. So we knew that that was like kind of setting the stage, probably leaning toward an approval before we actually got it yesterday. But what we learned yesterday with the statements from commissioners is that the win in the courts really kind of set the stage and was really the the motivating factor for the commission to vote yes on this. Um, Gary Gensler in his statement said that, you know, given the circumstances, and he mentioned this court case specifically, um, he said the only sustainable path forward was to approve the ETF. So I think that they knew that if they didn't approve it, they would have been dragged back to court. It would have been, it, it wouldn't have worked out in their favor. So this was really like Gensler yeah. in his own words said the only path forward. Yeah. I mean, it read like, so he, Gensler, posted this thing you basically said look i you know bitcoin remains this very volatile speculative asset and you know you could just see him writhing in pain over through that message of like like i really don't want to approve this but you know and he voted yes like he yeah. he knew that this was the only way there, there was he was backed into a corner he was dragged kicking and screaming i would say but yeah i mean his statement it literally said bitcoin and crypto are used for money laundering and drug trafficking and you know terrorist fundraising things that he said in the past he's actually like putting in this statement that go alongside his his yes vote which was interesting to see yeah all right so let's jump to the juicy stuff and then we can actually get into some of the details of this case where are we Today or Ben, I, I don't know who, who has the most up to date info. It's again noon on Thursday. So where, like, what are the flows looking like? What are the volumes looking like? Um, or maybe actually, if one of you wants to tee us up with this idea of like, there's flows, there's volume, and there's AUM, and how are those three things different? And then we can look at some of the actual numbers from today. Ben, do you want to start? Sure. Yeah. I mean, so. Um, AUM is the the total assets in in the fund, assets under management. Um, that that is based off of flows that are coming in, so inflows and outflows going in and out, new money. Um, and but AUM takes into account flows. It takes into account the seed capital, which was gathered beforehand to help the ETF launch, um, and also takes into account the performance of the asset and how the price when the price of Bitcoin goes up, AUM in Spot Bitcoin ETFs goes up as well. Uh, yes, yeah, like the AUM dollar amount versus the actual, like the amount of Bitcoin would be different. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so a lot, lot to look at so far. Um, we have a uh, we ha we have a, a story up on Blockworks.co right now with just the the initial trading volumes uh, in the first half hour. Um, there were 
more than a billion in trading volumes uh, so far. So a lot of shares trading hands in those funds uh, with BlackRock Fidelity and Grayscale seeing the most so far. Um, and yeah, that that compares to uh, the, the first Bitcoin futures ETF by ProShares in 2021 had about a billion in trading volume for the first day. Um, so obviously well well past the pace there for these. Nice. So the early winners here, it looks like, so we've got these 11 firms. The early winners are BlackRock, Fidelity, and Grayscale. Is that right? Yes. I was joking with Ben. 11 is far too many. I can't keep track. I have too many tabs open. Oh, this open. is a great chart right here. Okay, Grayscale. Oh, uh, Okay, so anyone watching on YouTube, you can actually see it live right here. This is great, great data. Yeah, and so that story yeah. was as of 10 a.m., and we will, we will be updating throughout the day. Um, yeah, I believe as of now, I think BlackRock might be in the lead, and we have surpassed $2 billion in trading volumes. Nice. Wow. So, okay, so ARC is uh, – so what I'm looking at is Grayscale, Bitcoin Trust is first, iShares. Um, which is BlackRock. Which is BlackRock. Then you've got Fidelity. Then you have ARC21 uh, partnership, uh, Kathy Wood's firm and, and 21 shares. Uh, and then coming up in fifth, we have Bitwise. Then you've got the Invesco Galaxy Partnership, Bitcoin ETF, then Valkyrie, then Franklin, then Wisdom Tree, then Hashdex. Yeah, and Hashdex was a little bit of a different one. They converted their Bitcoin futures ETF, uh, ticker DeFi, to also hold Bitcoin directly. Nice. And they, correct, Ben, you might know more about this. Their spot holdings, they're tracking CME, CME futures Bitcoin spot prices, right? In this fund, it's a little bit different. Yes, believe it's a little bit different. I would have to uh, dig into the details there. Yeah, so not only they converted and also the the underlying assets from what I understand are not quite the same as some of the other products. Nice. Okay, so what is your, let's talk about this um this one of the the most interesting dynamics I think which is like these fee wars that have emerged. So maybe you can walk us through um what what happened with the fees? Like, I think a lot of folks were expecting maybe 50 bips, 60 bips. Fidelity came out at 39 bips and this like all out war ensued, I'd say. So Ben, what is the update on the on this fee battle? Yeah, so because you have 11 funds launching at the same time, one of the differentiating factors um, is fees. So that, that that's why there's been such a competition there. Um, we saw Fidelity, I think, came out one of the first ones with like 39 bips, basis points. Um, and we saw some uh, some other issuers undercut them at 25. Bitwise was the lowest at, at 20 basis points. And we just kind of saw issuers continue to lower them. Um, Constantly, like some updated today. Right. So we're still updating, even though, and you, once it's posted, you can still update it and bring it down. You can change them after. Yeah, Valkyrie was at 80, for example. They went down to 49, and then they went down again to 25 this morning. So um, everyone's trying to stay competitive. Wow. Uh, yeah. And there's also some waivers. Um, believe BlackRock for the first 12 months or until $5 billion, it's a little bit lower. Um, some have zero fee for the first six months. Right. Bitwise um, and ARC, I think. Are, are... There's some... Something's ben, coming. and Casey, at what point will we know and understand uh, the type of buyer and the concentration, like the cohort, like who's buying it, um, you know, the retention, like the average holding period? I know it's first day, but, you know, any big, like, institutions buying the ETF is mostly retail. 
I would, so in the lead up to the Bitcoin ETF approval and, and why people thought it was so important, a big part of that obviously was like being able to hold Bitcoin and have exposure to this asset in something like a retirement account or that type of fund where you can't, like an, a registered investment advisor cannot like make a Coinbase account on your behalf and like buy Bitcoin for you. So this product is like giving brokers an opportunity to, you know, on behalf of their clients, get exposure to this asset. So I'm, I'm assuming, and Ben, I'm, I'm curious what you've heard as well. I think that the the retail trader of like crypto and the, the retail trader of, of this fund are, are not the same. Yeah. So I, I think a lot of this initially is, is retail investors. Um, we know that advisors, uh, you know, independent registered investment advisors are very interested in these ETFs because we saw in a, a Bitwise and Vetify survey a little while back um, that 80% of advisors were saying they were unable to buy crypto for clients or unsure whether they could. And that an ETF is a, a vehicle that they're very familiar with. Um, so that would be a gateway into this space for them. Um, advisors have a little bit more ability to go into these quickly if they want to. Um, whereas some of the the wirehouses, the larger, you know, full service brokerages like Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, Wells Fargo, they will have more of a due diligence process where they won't be jumping into these funds right away. Um, there might be certain hurdles that these ETFs need to clear, whether it's certain levels of AUM um, or, you know, com committees voting to to allow them to enter those funds. Why did um, ever so everyone pulled pulled fees down? What about Grayscale? What What are your thoughts on Grayscale's strategy here in terms of keeping fees at what did they keep it at one? They brought it from two down to one point five. One point five. Yeah. What's the strategy here? Well, the highest by a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, they. I mean, they obviously um, they get a lot of revenue from from the fees on on those assets in GBTC. Uh, there were about 28 billion uh, in assets under management in that fund um, that trust launched in 2013. Uh, they Grayscale disallowed redemptions in that trust years ago. Um, so investors would have to trade those shares on the secondary market. And those were trading at a discount for the last couple of years. Um, so some investors were kind of trapped in that vehicle. Um, the ETF changes that essentially bringing the, eliminating the discount. Um, so yeah, so I think some some people we've spoken to expect large outflows from GBTC now that it's an ETF to kind of go into some of those uh, lower cost funds. I'm also curious if we might see Grayscale launch another Bitcoin ETF product at a lower fee that's not under the GBTC ticker. Say more about that case. Wouldn't that cannibalize their existing? Well, I think so with, and this is something that um, also kind of goes back to the approval process and, and what we saw and learned, I guess, from the SEC yesterday, these ETFs are all cash redemption. And most issuers, um, ARC, Invesco, Galaxy, tried to do a in-kind redemption process, but they, we assume, were told by the SEC that that wasn't going to work. So I've talked to a lot of analysts and also people 
I don't want to say uh, people close to the matter. I know people get upset when I say that, but um, talk to people that know a lot more than I do. And they seem pretty confident that we're going to see a lot of issuers file for Bitcoin ETFs um, that use in-kind redemption. So I'm curious if Grayscale might try to take that route, in which case maybe we would see so, um, Maybe to <clears throat> double click on that. If you're a GBTC investor, <clears throat> you've been at pre years, uh, maybe you did it in a tax advantage account, like an RIA, Roth IRA. Uh, if it's cash settled, for you to pull out of that vehicle, it has a tax implication. Well, if you bought it, maybe not in this, in this tax advantage accounts, but like in a regular account <clears throat> to keep the matter simple. If you were to pull out of that, you have a taxable impact. And if you want, so if you wanted to save on fees, you would have to do the math around, I'm going to pay taxes on this. And so like, it's probably not worth it to pull out. And <clears throat> so if they launch a new product, it's really to capture the new inflows that are obviously not going to pay 1%. Um, and, but it's, yeah, I'm just kind of curious how you think about the retention of the pool of capital of GBTC and how that rotation might kind of happen. <clears throat> yeah, no, that's a good point. I think with the in-kind versus cash redemptions, I think the issuers are definitely, I mean, it's a, it's tax advantageous for them to use in-kind. So with in-kind redemptions, we see the issuer exchanges the funds underlying assets. So in this case, Bitcoin with a market maker in a cash redemption, they are actually like using cash to like buy the underlying asset to buy the Bitcoin, um, which creates a taxable event. But yeah, I mean, I'm like Ben said, with this transition, it's giving GBTC holders an opportunity to pull out and, and pull into something else for the first time. So I am, it's day one. <laughs> so I'm really curious to see what we'll see. Um, also with like the futures product, we saw Initially, Bitto, uh, which was ProShares Bitcoin Futures ETF, it was the first one to launch, like Ben said, in 2021. That like did amazing so far this week and last week. And now we're kind of seeing that back off. So there's a lot of different trends here. I'm, it's hard to know exactly what everyone's thinking. And just to uh, just about GBTC, you know, Grayscale is kind of positioning this as, you know, they are the fund with the most liquidity. Um, the tightest spreads, the the decade long track record. So that's how they. Yeah, they're really us. leaning into that 2013. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and and to the point too of potentially them launching a another fund. We've seen in the past uh, GLD, uh, the largest physical gold ETF by uh, State Street. They they launched a cheaper um, gold product. Uh, so even if it kind of even if that product would kind of cannibalize their own fund, they'd rather do that potentially than um, those flows going to other issues. Yeah, that's interesting. That, uh, it's probably actually a smart strategy by them. Let's say you lose fifty percent of the. Let's say you, even you lose fifty percent of the AUM, but if you don't drop your fees by more than fifty percent, you're technically making money there. So that that makes sense. And a shout out to uh, James Seyford at Bloomberg Intelligence, who kind of has circulated that theory more recently. Mm. Um, yeah. Nice. Um, what are the like broad, maybe, you know, we're talking, we're talking very like hourly and daily. What are the broad, maybe flow and asset and AUM predictions for this year? Like what is kind of consensus on the street? What are the, what's kind of consensus, maybe the more like crypto native, I'm, I'm assuming more optimistic consensus. What are people thinking right now? I have heard estimates for initial inflows from like one billion to five billion, so massive range for the for the um, for the 
day for the year? What like what's the time time? For- we'll say like first week. First week I think okay. some people are saying a day, but I'll I'll try to <laughs> I'll I'll say week. I don't think that's possible. Um, but yeah, I mean I. And, and this kind of goes back to the question of like, is it priced in or not? Um, and I think in the short term, we saw yesterday and we're seeing today that maybe the initial news of approval and like first trading day was priced in. We haven't seen like a ton of Bitcoin moves. Honestly, Ethereum's moving way more. But last night, as we're seeing these approvals come in from the SEC, Bitcoin's like barely moving at all. Um, so I think in the short term, a lot of that was priced in. When you look long term, though, I mean... We don't really know what's going to happen. An inflow of a billion versus five billion in the first month is a huge difference. So, like, of course, Bitcoin is going to trade differently based on that. Yeah, we have a few uh, Vanek analysts have predicted, I think, two point four billion combined in in uh, inflows into these spot Bitcoin ETFs in the first quarter. Um, Galaxy Research uh, has estimated fourteen billion in the first year. And uh, and Bitwise's Matt Hogan has said um, that their firm is kind of projecting 55 billion into all these funds in the next five years. So those are some different levels. Um, mm-hmm. Physical gold ETFs hold about 100 billion in assets under management. Um, so people have said that they expect Bitcoin could reach that. What is the? How do you think? This might be a really dumb question. Um, how do you? Think about the impact of flows uh, impacting the direct price of Bitcoin. So, like, if there's a hundred billion of flows into Bitcoin, how does that impact Bitcoin's actual price? You mean like because the fund is buying the Bitcoin? Fund buying the Bitcoin, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's good. I mean, I talked to a lot of analysts that were like, "There's really no downside here. Like, it's cash is infinite and like there's interest in this product. But like I said, I mean, depending on these different predictions, which there's a massive range, we don't know what's going to happen. That's kind of where it gets a little bit more dicey. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would say again, I think short term, it's very priced in long term. I'm doubtful. Yeah. I'm trying and to think about you, like, what you oh, need to think about um, some of the math and this goes back to our 2024 predictions. It's like, you need to think about how much Bitcoin is actually available because a lot of it might be in the hands of people that don't want to sell, might be lost wallets. You know, there's different estimates of how much is circulating versus where you need to make the distinction around. And this actually becomes more relevant for a proof of stake system. Like if, and when we have an Ethereum ETF, which by the way, you know, then now there's the focus is on that, like BlackRock already filed. I mean, there's like, people are speculating that it might be as early as August, but like simplistically, total supply is not as relevant as circulating supply and like what is actually available to be traded in the order books. Um, Cause you might have, you know, in a worse scenario, there's like no liquidity, right? No one wants to sell. So we have all that, those inflows, like just the price just goes to infinity, I guess. Um, so that's the thing to really monitor, you know, how much of, of Bitcoin's actually, you know, people look at order books to, to make this kind of assessments of like for an incremental billion, 10 billion of flows, how much is actually in the order book at any given time. Um, and it's kind of hard to piece it because sometimes it's just like shadow, you know, not all of it is like, it's an iceberg. And so, so like, it's sort of a bit of a difficult exercise to do in, uh, perfectly, but you can get a good estimate. Yeah. Galaxy Digital Research Associate Charles Yu had a report in October that kind of looked at the price of gold and how that reacted after gold ETFs launched in 2004. 
basically finding, you know, gold has increased by four times. The price has increased by four times since then. Um, I think he projected a 74% increase for Bitcoin in the first year of spot Bitcoin ETFs trading. Um, so that was an interesting report to check out potentially. What's up, everyone? Quick break from the show to talk about Digital Asset Summit. This is going to be BlockWorks' eighth DAS. We've been hosting this since 2019. It's our longest running conference series coming up March 18th to 20th in sunny London town, spring in London. You don't want to miss it. It's a crazy lineup. Definitely our craziest DAS yet. Just added Michael Sonnenschein from Grayscale, the head of digital asset research at Franklin Templeton. We've got DRW. We've got KKR. We've got Marshall Waste, DME Group. We have Bloomberg. We have Visa. We have Wintermute, we have Van Eck, we have FIS, we've got the framework folks joining us, 1KX, CoinShares, JP Morgan, Standard Chartered, QCP, Morgan Creek, Santi is coming, of course, Ledger CEO and Chairman Pascal will be there. It is going to be a phenomenal event. You don't want to miss it. Tickets are pacing so far ahead of schedule that unfortunately we can't offer 20% off anymore. There's a new code. It's Empire10. Empire10 is going to get you 10% off. See you in London. The days of not using crypto for really anything in the real world are over. It is time to start using crypto in everyday transactions, whether that's shopping online or just buying a bagel on the street. We're excited to tell you about PYUSD, PayPal's entrance into Web3. PayPal is proud to share an open letter to the crypto community that outlines their commitment, their roadmap, and their goals in the digital currency space. PYUSD seeks to transform how you interact with your digital assets. Available today, you can send your crypto to your PayPal account, swap it for PYUSD, and then use it to check out at millions of stores. PayPal invites you, all the Empire listeners, to be a part of this journey. Hit the link in the description of today's episode to read PayPal's open letter to the community. It gives you a really good sense of what their vision is. Take the next step by signing up for a PayPal account today. The future of crypto payments starts with PayPal. What about the ETH ETF? Um, it feels like the, I mean, our industry is the uh, attention span of a goldfish. So, you know, we celebrate for a day or two, uh, the Bitcoin ETF, and then all eyes go on the uh, Ethereum ETF. What is the kind of target deadline for for the ETH ETFs? And also, is it the same issuers, different issuers? What's this looking like? Yeah, so we saw, um, so ARK Invest and 21 shares, they filed for a spot Ether ETF in September. I believe Vanek uh, did the same. Uh, and we've seen others, Invesco and uh, BlackRock even uh, come in a little bit later with that. So that September filing will go through the same sort of 19 before process that these spot Bitcoin ETFs went through, which is essentially a, t- a 240 day process if they take the full time. Um, so I think there will be some sort of ruling by, by next May around then. Um, but I think... A lot will, a lot of discussion will need to happen before we see those. Um, I saw, you know, to the point earlier, Casey mentioned Gary Gensler's statement with approving these funds. Uh, he mentioned that this ruling does not signal anything about the commission's views to the status of other crypto assets. Um, so there will be, there will be work to do on on getting those approved for those issuers. Yeah, I mean, there was there were two years between approving Bitcoin futures ETFs and Ethereum futures ETFs. So like, if that's any indication, it's not, either's trading, like an ETF is going to be approved tomorrow. But 
Um, I'm pretty skeptical, like Ben said, really based on Gensler's language, um, that we'll see this happen quickly. I think that, again, based on what we've seen, um, it probably it will happen eventually, but I'm not I'm not holding my breath. And the difference between Bitcoin and Ether compared to the other assets is they they do have uh, futures markets regulated by the CFTC right now. Um, and and like Casey mentioned, the, the first Ether futures ETFs launched um, a few months ago in October. Uh, so nice. Yeah, I saw some folks talking about a Ripple ETF. Solana yeah, I was about ETF. to say. <laughs> it, my, my understanding is that is a far-fetched um, product uh, just Very. because that there's there's no robust futures market around yet, anything other than Bitcoin and ETH. Yeah, and like Ben said, I mean, just because the SEC rules that Ripple's not a security doesn't mean anything in terms of, of ETF approval. Like it's all about yeah. the maturity of the market and there's a lot to be done. Yeah. What else is interesting here, guys? Don't talk about Coinbase. Let's talk about Coinbase. What, what should we talk about Coinbase case? Um, ben probably knows more than I do. They're the custodian for nine of the 11. I think nine. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, their stock is down a lot today, which is, I thought was which interesting. Which makes sense. Um, is that 145 now ish? Okay. We'll see. Um, yes, yeah, some analysts were predicting that obviously with them being, you know, are, are raking a lot of these custody fees, but so I was seeing estimates from like 25 million to 30 million in annual fees, which obviously isn't a ton. Um, and then of course there's the, the thought that if you can buy an ETF, why would you? make a Coinbase account to purchase Bitcoin. Again, mm. I think that those two categories of investors are different, but it is something to think about. I mean, I know that my parents, for example, would rather buy this ETF than get on an exchange, even though I've told them. And, and do you know the economics here? So let's say, okay, so I'm looking at our uh, the BlockWorks ETF tracker. You've got Grayscale, Bitwise, basically everyone except for VanEck and Fidelity uses Coinbase to custody. They're Bitcoin. What is the split there. So let's say, um, you know, Bitwise here, their fees are going to be 20%. What percentage of that goes to Coinbase and what goes to Bitwise? Do you know? I do not know. Um, ben, I'm not sure if you have any updated numbers. Um, I'm not sure what the breakdown is. I don't, this isn't something, is this something that they have to disclose? I can pull this up in Edgar. It's probably it. actually in the, um, in the Coinbase annual filings. Um, that would be an interesting, uh, yeah, I mean, that's something to watch, I guess, for their Q1 2024 earnings report because we'll have this data. Yeah. That's Um, interesting. So yeah, that's definitely something to watch. I was, again, I was surprised that coin itself, the, the stock was trading so low today. It didn't really move that much last night on the approval and aftermarket trading, but not hmm. doing so hot today. You would have thought it would move in one way or the other, either positively because it's a big uh, big step forward for the industry or negatively because, yeah, like you said, maybe people aren't buying Bitcoin on Coinbase anymore. In terms of maybe case, I'd throw it back to you, like in terms of ETFs in context of the broader SEC war against crypto, what are, what are you hearing on the ground? Well, I would say, so do you mean, like, in terms of approval, what does this mean for the SEC going forward? Or like, yeah, like, you know, the SEC was coming after folks like uh, Coinbase pretty hard was coming after Kraken pretty hard. I don't know if what you're hearing in terms of like, are these, yeah. you know, coming after some of the DeFi protocols pretty hard? Like, is this still going to continue? Um, I think less, so. more? Okay, continue. I think that, 
like I said, this um, regulation by enforcement has really encouraged this litigation process and fighting it out in the courts versus settlements, which is really important for the industry because a court ruling helps set a precedent, exactly like we saw with this Bitcoin ETF. Um, when we see all these settlements with the SEC, it's difficult because it doesn't really create any precedent for any other you know, actor in the space. It doesn't help to change any rules or, or to provide clarity to the industry. Um, that being said, I mean, it's really, really expensive. We saw it with Ripple. We saw it with Grayscale. We're currently seeing it with Coinbase, Kraken. I mean, it takes a lot of resources to go up after the SEC and fight these matters out in court, but it's what we've seen so far, really the most effective path forward in, in terms of getting, I would say, like more concrete change. Um, the other side of that with the drama that we saw this week surrounding the approval announcement, I'll say. Um, so we had the SEC's official Twitter X account, whatever you want to call it, compromised. Um, there was a false tweet that they put out that said that the ETF was approved. That happened on Tuesday night. We obviously saw Bitcoin's price fluctuate a lot after that. It took about 15 minutes for the SEC to correct the narrative and state that the ETFs had not actually been approved. Immediately after this, we saw a lot of um, feedback from lawmakers, mostly Republicans, um, criticizing the SEC, saying that this obviously was incredibly irresponsible. It impacted markets um, and it, it's unacceptable for a government agency to not have better security around these accounts. Um, so that happened on Tuesday. A lot of lawmakers were very fired up. And then on Wednesday, uh, we had another fun little incident with the SEC where the approval document was posted, I believe, at like 3.45 p.m. It was just before 4, which everyone found very surprising. The SEC tends to keep these announcements until after the market closed. Sure. But it came up. And then I think, Ben, you can correct me. I think it was up for maybe five to 10 minutes before the post came down. Maybe even less than that, but Maybe yeah, even less than that. So you're, yeah. you're frantically reading it, and uh, and then it disappeared. It did. So then, obviously, um, you know, coming right on the heels of this compromised Twitter account, everyone is wondering: Was the SEC hacked? Is this true? Why is the page gone? Um, the SEC's office is not responding to anyone. We were frantically calling their press office. No one's saying anything. It took half an hour to to then get the actual real news um, that was that was posted. So none of this is looking good for a lot of these lawmakers that have long criticized the SEC's enforcement practices. Um, you know, it's it's not winning them any favors in Washington right now, I would say, particularly on the right. Um, I was hearing some speculation from Democrats that the Twitter situation was not actually the SEC's fault, but it was a problem of X's security. Um, X obviously came forward and said that that wasn't I true. don't know about that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I was talking to someone that said they just hate Elon Musk so much, and this was just a perfect opportunity to... <laughs> Blame Twitter. It's a good political opportunity, of course. Yeah, I mean, everything's going to get a spin on it. And obviously, we, we have to take it all with a grain of salt. But I am curious to see. I mean, we saw it. there was a congressional hearing for Taylor Swift ticket sales. Like, we're going to see a congressional hearing over this SEC situation. Yeah. I have no doubt about it. Great. So I'm curious to see how that impacts um, some of the the bills that we're currently seeing that are, that are targeting the SEC and um, every... Yeah. 
something to watch. Nice. Well, Ben, Case, uh, this has been great. Anything else that um, we should talk about that we that we have not and that we're missing? Have you bought? Has anyone bought? I actually want to try to buy. I saw I, I saw on Twitter that folks who were trying to buy through you know Vanguard and uh, J.P. Morgan and stuff are getting like uh, big warning symbols. It's like you know approve three different times, click this checkbox. Like, are you sure you want to buy? So uh, six confirmation, gonna, sir. Yeah, exactly. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to buy through our JP Morgan account today and see see what happens. I did some yeah, trading. take a look at did a little bit of trading you did? this morning. Yeah. What'd you buy? Which one? A mix and and some Coinbase stuff. <laughs> I'm on the every, sidelines for now. Every day I talk to Santi. Santi, how you doing? Just got some more Coinbase stock. But <laughs> <laughs> well, today, buy the dip. Yeah, buy the not, dip. Not, not financial. I mean the other thing that's interesting we talk about is a uh, circle IPO. So basically, um, uh, Circle's looking to go public. So we actually reported this maybe six to 12 months ago um, that they were looking to go public, but it had been kind of put on hold a little bit or it had been slowed down. Um, the company just announced that it filed the draft registra- uh, registration statement for its IPO. Um, and they said that uh, the IPO is expected to take place after the SEC completes its review process, which is subject to you know market and other conditions. And... Uh, this is a this is a really big deal. I would say it's maybe not as big of a deal as the Bitcoin ETF, but it's still a colossal deal that I think will probably be swept under the rug just because everyone's so focused on the ETF. But if you look at the um, state of capital markets in crypto today, the only ways for people to actually access Bitcoin if you're an institutional or crypto if you're an institutional investor, it's now the Bitcoin ETF, it's Coinbase stock, and it's uh, publicly traded Bitcoin miners which are essentially just beta on Bitcoin. Um, Circle IPOing basically gives folks access to broader crypto businesses. And even more importantly, there are about six to 10 companies that are waiting to see how Circle's IPO is received. And if it's received successfully, um, I think a lot of other companies are going to push to IPO, which just having several publicly traded crypto companies other than just Coinbase and, and the miners I think it's a huge unlock for an industry. So, do you wonder what and micro strategy, and micro strategy, of course. Yeah, yeah. there's micro, well, there's also Galaxy, which trades in Canada, but it's a it's a big development. Having um, it's just a sign of a maturing industry. Um, yeah. There's the the obvious other one is Kraken, probably follows suit in 2024, and then there's another cohort that I would say is one level below Kraken. Uh, who, who probably looks fire blocks yeah who probably looks to 2025 this would be you know chainalysis anchorage fire blocks maybe consensus block works yeah exactly <laughs> alchemy bitgo gemini etoro you could probably bucket in there ripple i've heard um has talked about it a little bit internally so uh there's there's a whole swath of companies that are now looking at circle to say how successful are they going to be how's the market going to receive this and if it's received well like we'll we'll start to file as well. So, does anyone have a favorite uh, Bitcoin commercial they've seen on X or uh, you know we saw we saw Bitwise kind of come out swinging with the most interesting man in the world. I, I mean Matt. Ho- so Matt, Ho- I'm I'm biased. Matt Hogan's a, an advisor to Blockworks um, and has been very helpful through the years, through the ups and the downs. And so you know I'm 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 always biased towards uh, Bit- Bitwise commercials that especially when they feature Matt Hogan. Uh, so I like that one. I didn't really like the hashtag one. I thought that was kind of half-assed. Um, I've been loving everything that comes out of Van Eck. 
Like I think Van Eck's been doing a really good job for the industry since for a long time, for six years now. Um, and they've had they've had some good stuff. But it's cool. I mean, NFL playoffs are coming up. Like it's gonna be interesting to see how many commercials are you know, you're watching the playoffs, like how many Bitcoin yeah. ETF commercials are there gonna be? So. We can all finally take a back seat and let Wall Street do the sales and marketing for the industry. And that's a huge machine. Sales marketing department grew orders of magnitude. And I have a question actually for this. So I'm looking at our story, spot Bitcoin ETFs, estimated volume. You've got Grayscale, BlackRock, and Fidelity, then ARK 21 shares, then Bitwise. Where Where is Van Eck here? They were uh, pretty significantly lower. I, I think ARK was behind the top three and fourth, and then the rest were... Pretty significant. Did Vanek get delayed or they got approved too? They're good to go. They were approved. I will say not every single fund started trading exactly at 930. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. So take that with a grain of salt, especially with, so this story that you're looking at, Jason, was published at like 10 something. So some had like truly been trading for half an hour and some hadn't. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I was a little bit surprised. Their ticker is also HODL. So I was curious. Nice. How that would go over. Nice. Awesome. Well, Case, Ben, thanks for everything. Uh, incredible coverage of of, uh, of this Bitcoin ETF. Um, excited to see it develop and start to move into ETH ETF conversations starting in Q2. And yeah, good work on everything. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Cool. Thanks, thanks, guys. Santi. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for watching today's episode. Really hope you enjoyed it. We wanted to take a second to just remind you about our upcoming Digital Assets Summit in London, March 18th to 20th. Santi and I got your back. Seats are limited, and we hooked you up with a 20% off discount code. It is Empire20. If you heard it earlier in the podcast, there's a little competition running at BlockWorks to see who can drive the most number of tickets. So when you register for the Digital Assets Summit, make sure you use our code Empire20. See you in London.